Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series from the Psalms called Poured Out. The Psalms teach us we can pour out our hearts to the Lord in every circumstance we face in life. Thanks for joining us. On my 20th birthday, my parents wrote on my birthday card a Bible reference that I still remember. I don't remember all the Bible references my parents wrote on birthday cards, which was their annual custom, but I remember that one. And I wonder if they knew something about me that I didn't know myself. So here's what they wrote. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 11. And that's actually our text today. And I want to invite you, if you want to open your Bibles to that part, it's in the last 20 pages of your Bible, 1 Peter 5. If you're using a black Bible, it's on page 983. I think we have that there on the screen in case you're looking it up. But we're going to look at these verses today, especially verses 5 through 7 before we take communion. Uh, when my brother and sister and I were uh, kids, my mother, who some of you know has a sense of humor, would say this from time to time, you know, kids, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect like me. <laughs> and of course, we would laugh just like you did because we knew her. And we knew that just like we weren't perfect, she wasn't either, but she had one thing right. It's hard to be humble. If it was easy to be humble, everybody would do it. But it's not easy to be humble. But today, I hope you'll see that the message is entitled, If You Struggle With Pride Like I Do. I mean, I don't have a new book coming out anytime soon that says humility and how I achieved it. But if you struggle with pride like I do every day, then here's the good news. This message is entitled, Hope for Proud People. Now, where do I get that? If you're following along in the notes, here's the first reason I entitled it that way. It's Peter who offers hope for those who struggle with pride. It's Peter who offers hope for those who struggle with pride. If you're unfamiliar with the New Testament of the Bible, then Peter was one of Jesus' 12 followers, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and of all the disciples, most of us identify most quickly with Peter. Why? Because Peter stuck his foot in his mouth, Peter overrated himself, Peter embarrassed himself on a fairly regular basis, and so if he can hang out with Jesus and still be a follower of Jesus, then there's hope for all of us. But he says, look, you need to know that when I spent time with Jesus, he taught me as proud as I was, as messed up as I was at times, he kept teaching me how to be humble, and it kept giving me hope, and now I want to share these same things with you. Now, let me stop for a second and show you another Bible verse that's not part of what we're going to look at today, but it ties into this. Jesus, Peter heard these words and, and took him up on them. Jesus, in his ministry, said, come to me. And then he said this verse in Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, after he'd said, come to me. Take my yoke upon you. Can you picture a yoke where both animals are in the yoke together? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Not just on Sundays, this is a life. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest. You will find hope for your souls. Now Peter took him up on that. And he entered into this life, this yoke with Jesus. And he said, as I spent time with Jesus, because he was gentle and humble in heart, he began to teach me lessons that I now want to pass on to you because they have given me hope and encouragement <clears throat> so many times. And when I've messed up, it's helped me know what to come back to. 
So as you're thinking about this, here's what I want you to see today that Peter's going to share with us in these verses. Choosing humility, if you're following along, can transform our lives. Choosing, it is a choice. It's not always easy, but choosing humility can transform our lives. And here's what I want you to see in at least three ways every day. Now, if you look at the subheadings of the message, you'll see that it says, first of all, the way we treat others. The second one is the way we treat God. And the third one, which may surprise you, is the way we treat worries. The way we treat others, the way we treat God, and the way we treat worries. Choosing humility can transform how we interact with all three of these. So I want to talk to you about this today. And before we pray, let me just say that there's all kinds of ideas about humility. When I say choosing humility, some of you go, not interested. I'm not interested in being a doormat. I'm not interested in thinking of myself as a worm. Highly unattractive. I completely agree. Because those are wrong definitions of humility. Fred Smith Sr., years ago, I heard give just a tremendous definition for humility. And here's what he said. Humility is not denying the power that you have. In other words, God's given us a measure of power. That would be lying. So if you have a talent and you say, well, I'm not very talented at that, that's lying. That's false humility. God's not asking you to deny that. Humility is acknowledging that the power you have comes through you and not from you. And it's remembering that that's helpful. Now, I'll just give you another definition that's helped me. If someone says, what do, you, what do you think of, Jeff, when you think of humble? Well, here's some words that come to my mind. Teachable, leadable, and readily responsive to God's promptings. Am I teachable, or do I think I've learned all I need to learn? Do, am I leadable, or is God got a tough job on his hands because I'm not easy to lead? Am I correctable, directable, guidable, shapeable, formable? like Chuck was reminding us last week. So this is what I want us to see, is that you and I can choose to be teachable, leadable, readily responsive to God's promptings, if we will. Now, let me just pray, and then we'll look at this passage together. So now, God, thank you that you want to give us hope. Thank you for being willing to humble yourself, even in having a relationship with us. What a step down that must have been for you to come to earth. Thanks for doing that. And now help us learn and get in the yoke with you like Peter did. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so the very first way is the way we treat others. If you struggle with pride like I do in the way that you treat others, then Peter says you can choose to clothe yourselves with humility toward others. Would you read that first verse with me? Uh, Verse 5b there in that first gray box. Let's read it together. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, notice the word clothe yourselves. What does that mean? Literally, it's a word picture. It means to tie on or to knot, if you're following along. It means to tie on or to knot. Uh, As Peter is thinking back and he's writing these words, I think he's reminiscing. 
I think he's thinking back to those days with Jesus and all the ways Jesus taught him valuable lessons as he spent time in the yoke with Jesus. And he uses word pictures that help stir up these memories. So the word clothe yourselves comes from a memory he had with Jesus that I'll explain in just a second. It actually came from the night before Jesus was crucified. Now to the right, I list several different references. The first one comes from Luke, and in, uh, excuse me, from Mark 14. And what I just, I'll just tell you what it says. Basically, it says that Peter says to Jesus, look, you're talking about going to the cross. You're talking about dying. I just want you to know, if all these other 11 guys let you down, I'll be there for you. You can count on Peter, lucky you, to have a disciple like me. Okay, that's the paraphrase. Jesus goes, "Um, actually, Peter, I think you're kind of like missing it. You're overrating yourself. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice tonight. He goes, no. He says, no, 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 no. Jesus, you just don't realize how lucky you are to have me. I'll be there for you, even if I have to die. Okay, that's what it says. That's going on the night before Jesus is crucified. So that's encouraging, isn't it, to have a guy like that on your team? So Peter's doing that. Here's the other thing. If you look at then Luke 22, it tells us something else was going on in the room that night before Jesus was crucified with his followers. It says they were arguing over which one of them was the greatest. Wow. I bet Jesus was thinking, these three years have been a great investment. These guys really get it. No, they are still doing all those things. And here's, friends, here's what we see as a picture. I wrote on a, a, a piece of paper this week what I'm like when I'm proud with others. I'm competitive. I'm comparing. I'm critical. I'm inconsiderate, looking only to my own interest and not to the interests of others. I'm cocky and I feel superior towards other people. I power up sometimes. I'm quick to give answers instead of listen. I'm rude, I'm impatient, I'm demeaning, and even harsh. Then Jesus walked into the room, and everything changed that night. And this is what Peter's remembering. He says, I remember Jesus walking into the room. John 13 gives us the details. He walked in the room, started having the meal with us. John and I had been, as Luke 22 tells, John and I had been in charge of setting up the meal and making preparations. And so Jesus, evidently during the meal, notices that John and I forgot one important detail, and that was the towel boy. In the Middle East, as a courtesy, when people entered a room, entered a house, their feet were washed so that they could get to the table refreshed. Remember, they reclined at tables, so you kind of wanted the person reclining next to you to have their feet washed to make the meal more pleasant. But evidently no one had done that, and Jesus notices that all the disciples' feet are still dirty, and I think he's hearing them argue. So the Bible says that instead of saying, berating them and saying, what a bunch of losers you guys are, he gets up quietly without a word, takes off his robe, and then ties on, knots on, the towel that the towel boy was supposed to use. And he begins to kneel down in front of every one of his disciples. John tells us that when he got to one of the disciples, he argued with Jesus. Guess who that disciple was? Peter. Peter said, you're not going to wash my feet, Jesus. This is wrong from the beginning. 
And so what happened is, is that he says, Jesus says to him, look, Peter, unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. And Peter says, then give me a bath. And Jesus says, you're kind of overshooting it, Peter. I just need to wash your feet. He washes his feet. He puts back on his robe and he comes back to the table and he says, do you realize all of you what I've just done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. But if I have humbled myself and washed your feet, then this is something you can do for each other too. And from now on, I've set an example before you. Now that you know these things, now that you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Peter never forgot that night. Now, I want you to notice that every time he talks about the way we treat others, the way we treat God, and the way we treat worries, he gives a reason. I don't know about you, but I, I, when I hear, clothe yourselves with humility, I go, mm-hmm, mm, I'm not sure I need a reason, a good reason to do that, because sometimes I don't want to do that for other people. By the way, let me say something about clothe yourselves. We're so used to the idea of clothing ourselves and dressing ourselves. By the way, can I just thank all of you for doing that today? I think we're a lot more comfortable sitting next to each other. But think about it, you've been doing that since you were a little kid. In fact, it was one of the markers that you had gotten old enough that now you could dress yourself. It was a choice you could make. And so when you did that, notice it was also a daily thing. You've been doing it for years, you'll have to keep doing it for years, right? Dress yourself, clothe yourself. So what Jesus is teaching us, look, is I'm not going to do this for you. I'm asking you to choose it. But here's why. If you're following along, here's the why. Peter says, God will oppose us or give us grace. This is what I've learned. It's a spiritual law. God will oppose us or give us grace. By the way, I'm thankful that God opposes the proud. There's never a time in my life that I'm uglier than when I'm proud. But God opposes the proud. But here's the hope. He gives grace to the humble. In fact, would you repeat, if you take nothing else to the car, would you take that second line of the first gray box to the car with you? Let's read it together and hear it again. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is what Peter remembers, and he wants us to see. So when you think about that, let me just ask you, is there someone that the way you've treated them, God wants you to choose humility instead because you've acted proudly towards them. I was going for a walk this week and all of a sudden, God brought to my mind someone in our community that I've had an issue with and I felt like in my heart that I was right, but the more I thought about it, the way that I expressed my view was so self-righteous and sanctimonious that I think I gave this person a terrible picture of what Jesus looks like in a person's life. And so I've got to think about some of the timing and the right way to go about making that right. I've got to figure out how to clothe myself with humility towards that person. So can you relate to that? Let me just tell you a quick story. When Trish and I were married 37 years ago, the first place we lived at was a one-bedroom apartment in the upstairs of a house. And it was an older house, so it didn't have a dishwasher or a small kitchen, all that. So we, again, I'm going to tell you three stories, by the way, today, that if you've been part of our church, you've heard these before. But I'm asking you to think about what maybe God's saying to you while I tell stories on myself. So as, as I, uh, we had dinner that night, um, my mom had always taught me to take my dishes to the sink when I was done eating. And so I did that. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm, what a great husband I am and all that. And then I was thinking, you know, what do I want to do tonight now that I'm 
done with dinner. And I remember across the ticker of my mind, the next thought I had was, I think I'll go watch TV. Now, what I wasn't prepared for is the next thought that came right after that one across the ticker of my mind, and it was, Jeff, pick up the towel. And you may say, what did that mean? Well, translated, Jeff, dry the dishes with your wife. Now, people have said to me many times, how do, how do you know God's speaking to you? Because a lot of people say God speaks to them, but I've never heard an audible voice. I believe it's through our thought processes. And I don't mean that every thought we have is from God. You have to test those things. But what I've learned is, is that most thoughts that God says to me across the tick of my mind either challenge me or call me to a better way, a more thoughtful way. And so I knew that Jeff was, I think I'll go watch TV. Jesus was, Jeff, pick up the towel. And in that moment, I remember thinking I had a choice. Well, I did pick up the towel that night, and I don't remember all that Trish and I talked about. And again, I'm not talking about doing that so you know you expect a marching band to celebrate you when you do that. I mean, I, I needed to just do it quietly, right? And so um, I don't remember all we talked about it, but I remember our conversation was better than if I had watched TV. Does that make sense? And so that's the first thing, the way we treat others. Second, is the way we treat God. Peter talks about that next in verse six. And so if you struggle with pride in the way you interact with God or the way you treat God, then Peter says you can actually humble yourself under God's mighty hand. You can actually do something about that. So let's read verse six together. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Now, notice it says, humble yourselves, therefore. What's the therefore? It's pointing back to, hey, if God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, then make up your mind to humble yourselves under God's mighty hand instead of fighting him all the time, instead of holding on to your own way. And so, if you're following along, here's Peter's advice. Place ourselves under God's mighty hand. Again, place ourselves under God's mighty hand. It's a picture. Not place ourselves over God's mighty hand, but under. So, out to the right, again, I list some more scriptures, but Luke 5, let me just paraphrase and capture that. Luke 5 tells about how Peter, who was a fisherman, is cleaning and mending his nets one day while Jesus is teaching. And Jesus uses his boat to push out a little bit. And after Jesus gets done teaching, he says to Peter in front of that crowd, Peter, would you go fishing with me? Now, Peter is disappointed on several levels because he's just getting the nets mended and cleaned. But also the night before, he hadn't caught any fish, so he was down because it was a bad money day at Peter's house. But when Jesus says this, most of us, if you know anything about fishing, know that there's times to go fishing and there's times not to. And Jesus picks a time that immediately created tension inside Peter because Peter knew fishing. And he's picking a time where the fish are not going to normally be a good to catch. So he, he says, Lord, last night wasn't a good night. And I don't mean to act like I know more than you. You're a really good teacher, but I don't know if you're smart about fishing. And he's feeling this tension. Do you ever have a time when God wants you to do something and you go, I know you're God and I'm not, but I think this time I probably have a better idea how to go about this than you do. I mean, do you ever feel those tensions? Or God, I just don't want to do that. I just don't think it's a good idea. And so Peter says that, but here's what Peter says. Nevertheless, if you say so, I will. 
And what Peter had no idea is that he was signing up for an opportunity he'd never forget. So they go out. Jesus says, why don't you put the nets on this side? As soon as the nets get in the water, it's almost like the fish are eager to jump in the net. Peter's never seen so many fish jump in a net. And instead of seeing dollar signs at the marketplace that day, instead, all he can see is Jesus. And the Bible says that he climbed across the boat and he falls at Jesus' knees. He places himself under Jesus and says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And Jesus, if I was Jesus, could have said, you got that right. That's not what Jesus says. He says, don't be afraid, Peter. From now on, I want you to join me. And I want to show you how your life can help other people be part of what God's doing in the world. And if you'll join me, I want you to be with me. And Peter was blown away by the grace that Jesus showed him when he had just been so cocky about thinking he knew more. And so he says, look, if you'll humble yourself under. So again, I wrote this week some of the ways that I treat God. It's when I argue with him. It's when I think I know better than him. It's when I blow him off. It's when I ignore his commands and his spirit's promptings. I've done that even this week. What do I do? Humble myself again. Come back to that, right? So why? Peter says, here's why. If you're following along, God will lift us up in his good time. God will lift us up in his good time. That happened every time with Peter. Not only did Jesus lift him up that day in the boat and says, no, no, Peter, you don't have to like keep beating yourself up. I have plans for you. All I'm asking is that you'll place yourself under, get in the yoke with me, be teachable, stay teachable, and I'll lift you up in my good time. You wait, you watch. And so this wasn't the first time though. You remember how Peter says, I'll never deny you. I'll stick with you to the end. Well, Peter did deny him three times. Most embarrassing thing in his life. Now he's got a wedge between him and Jesus. After Jesus rises from the dead as he said he would, Peter hears that he's been making appearances and he decides to go back fishing because he doesn't know what to do. He's out of sorts with God. But that day as he's fishing, he hears a man on the beach say, hey, try the other side with your nets. And as soon as they do, same thing. And it's like, do-do-do-do. I mean, all of a sudden he realizes this is like, I think I've experienced this before. And he realizes that's Jesus on the beach. And he jumps out of the boat and he swims as fast as he can to Jesus. By the way, that's what we always do when we're humble and we've blown it. And he gets to Jesus on the beach and he finds out that Jesus is making breakfast. In the Middle East, you only eat a meal with someone that you want to have fellowship and shared love with. Does someone need to hear today that if you've let Jesus down or you've blown it, that he wants to offer you breakfast instead of demeaning you? They have breakfast. He asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Why did he ask him three times? Because when you've blown it three times, you need three opportunities to get it right. And each time Peter says, you know that I love you. 
And Jesus says, feed my sheep. I have plans for you, Peter. They're still, in, they're still on. Come on, let's go. Stay in the yoke with me. I want to do something in your life. And he said, the Lord lifted me up. And that wasn't the last time. I've needed lifted up many other times. But every time I've placed myself under instead of over, or when I've placed myself over, when I've got back to placing myself under, he's lifted me up. Bless his name. I highly recommend it, Peter says. So notice this, is that Peter had to keep humbling himself, and so will we. Peter had to keep humbling himself, and so will we. Out to the right, I list Acts 10, Galatians 2. These are just two other examples that years after Peter's been walking with Jesus, and now Jesus has ascended into heaven, Peter still has to keep learning how to humble himself. How? Well, he has a spirit of partiality. He has a spirit at times of hypocrisy. He has this thing where sometimes he thinks he knows how to do things better. And so he has to come back to humility. And you and I will too. But here's another reason why we need to keep learning. In verses eight and nine, it tells us that we have an enemy who prowls around, who's bigger than us, who wants to try and destroy us. And his whole demeanor is to try and get us to disobey God and exalt ourselves over God. That's how he fell from heaven, Satan. But also it says that we're going to go through times of suffering like other believers around the world will if you decide to live a distinctive Christian life. People won't like it. And therefore, stay humble. Stay humble. Let me just tell you a quick story. My dad, I've told you this many times, marked my life when it came to the area of humility. I had a front row seat of seeing how imperfect my parents were, just like you did with your parents, but they also had a front row with me. Well, in those days, I, just, I don't know why, but I think out of my brother and sister and I that I needed the most discipline. And I think about my attitudes, I think it was because I was probably more proud. But my dad and mom had tag team stuff, so I knew when my dad came home, it was discipline time with my dad. And so one, a number of particular times, it just out of total frustration, I remember that he would discipline me, and you know, sometimes he would spank me, and then he'd send me to my room to think about stuff, and every once in a while, he'd throw an extra one in just out of frustration, and he never beat me or anything, but I just remember going to my room, laying on my bed, and thinking, oh, I'm mad now. Lord, you know that was not Christian discipline. And thinking, if he, he's a pastor and he calls himself a Christian, if he thinks I'm ever going to love him again, I'm thinking all these thoughts, right? More often than I can tell you, within an hour or before the sun went down, my dad would come back to me and say, I think you know I needed to discipline you. But the Lord showed me that the way I disciplined you wasn't very humble. Would you please... Forgive me. And when he would do that, the grace of God, I could tell, was flowing into him, through him, to me, and it would ruin my plan. <laughs> it would also hold a mirror up to me to help me see that I had some pride issues myself in the way I was reacting and taking the discipline. And I remember thinking, oh man, God, what a beautiful picture humility is compared to pride. I'm so thankful. So thankful he taught me that. And I want to be that kind of person too, even though I'm not always. So the way we treat others, the way we treat God, there's hope, friends. 
There's hope if we'll choose it. The third way is the way we treat worries. This last one, I'll just say a few words, but notice that if you struggle with pride in the way that you handle your worries, you can choose to cast all your anxiety on the Lord. So that's what he says. Would you read verse 7 with me there in that third gray box? Let's read it together. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now the word cast means to throw all our anxiety on God. I told you that Peter keeps picturing these memories, these word pictures. So he says, clothe yourselves just like Jesus did with us. Place yourself under just like I did in the boat that day or on the beach. And then he says, cast. As a fisherman, I learned to throw the nets. I learned to throw them, throw them on Jesus. Because if you will, he'll fill them differently than if you hold on to them yourself. But what I want you to notice is, is that in the Greek language that this New Testament is written in, verses 6 and 7 are a continuation. It's one sentence. But many of our translations make it start like a brand new sentence. Hey, here's an idea. Cast all your anxiety on him. But it doesn't give the idea it's meant to that, hey, if you're humble, you will do that. So we've just finished this series, poured out. Poured out everything that's in our hearts to God, including our anxiety. Why? Because he can handle it way better than if we hold on to it. But sometimes I'll just say, you know, I think I can worry my way through life better, God, than giving it to you. And sometimes he's my last resort rather than my first resort. Peter says, I've learned every time. I learned when I took my mother-in-law's situation to Jesus, he helped us. When I was in prison and didn't know what to do, he helped me. He'll help you. He'll help you. But you got to cast all your anxiety in him. And if you will, that's a way instead of being proud and self-sufficient and arrogant, you can be humble but it takes humility to do that, and that's why some of us don't do it. Cast all your anxiety in him. Why? Why, if you're following along, Peter says, here's what I've learned. God genuinely cares for us. You may say, you mean the God of the whole universe with all the people in the world? Yep, God genuinely genuinely cares for us. If I've learned anything from Jesus, this is the truth. So notice the last thing here is that the God of all grace wants to give us grace. That's what it says in verses 5 10 through 11, the God of all grace. I love that. Will himself restore and build you up. He'll help you. So the last story I'm going to tell is probably one that most people in our church family know the best, but it's the one where I put on a show of both arrogance and had to learn humility. Their Parkway Point now has a Walgreens, and on that corner there used to be a, a hamburger restaurant called Hardy's. When I moved back here in 95, uh, we had two or three of the Hardee's that were the top national uh, restaurants of Hardee's in, in the country. Well, anyway, if, you're, if you were ever there, you knew it was a long rectangular building where you had to enter at the far end and go up to the counter and walk through all the tables and stuff. Well, anyway, one day, I'm out in Parkway Point with my oldest son. This was many years ago now. He was about eight or nine years old. And my wife calls me on the cell phone and says, hey, would you like cover supper tonight because we've got quite a few things going on. So as I'm driving past the Hardee's on one side of the sign, I see again many years ago now, four cheeseburgers for $2. And I thought, that's my answer. A bag of those is my answer. So I go into the drive-thru. As I get in the drive-thru, I order the cheeseburgers. And as I'm waiting behind a number of cars, I'm looking up at the other side of the sign and I see that it says, uh, fast and friendly service. And we're thinking, well, that's great. That's fast and friendly. So anyway, I wait a few more minutes, and I'm still not moving. 
I get up to what I think I'm finally getting the cheeseburgers, and they say, would you mind parking and drive-through parking? Which to me is an oxymoron. Drive-through parking? So, okay, so I do that. Well, the whole time, I'm, a, I'm an external processor. I'm a verbal processor. So my poor son is hearing me go, golly, Moses, this service here is absolutely terrible. Okay, just lovely in our car. I get the bag of cheeseburgers, finally, and I hand them to him and say, wait right here. So I have this wonderful idea that I need to help Hardee's get better. So I walk in the door and I walk up to the counter and I ask if I can speak with a manager. And I'm, I'm really worked up now because I feel like I'm God's instrument of justice in the world. So, so this guy comes up and he goes, hey, how can I help you? I said, I just bought some of your cheeseburgers. He says, pretty good deal. I said, really good deal. The only problem is they took forever. And here's what I just wanted to ask. Would you mind taking down the words on your sign that say fast and friendly service if you're not going to do them. Okay, and I had this spirit like, okay. This guy, I could just see him shrink back. He goes, okay, man. So I walk out, get back in the car. As soon as I get in the car, my son goes, the service is lousy here, blah, blah. I thought, oh no, my son is acting like me. I've infected him. So now I got about an hour, I got, a, excuse me, just a mile and a half to drive home. Wasn't a long drive, about a half mile there. I'm, by the way, that Sunday I was supposed to be preaching on how we can block our prayers by our attitudes. <laughs> anyway, I'm a half mile away from Hardy's and all of a sudden across the ticker of my mind, the Lord says to me, I want you to turn your car around and I want you to go back and I want you to apologize to that manager for the way you just spoke to him. And I remember thinking, well, Lord, that would be kind of hard. <laughs> and the Lord said, uh-huh, still asking you. So I, I don't always turn my car around, but that day I did. And I made my way back, and my son said, what are we doing? I said, I'll explain it later, and I did. We get back to Hardy's. I said, wait right here. I walk in. I remember I told you it was a long store. So when I walk in the door, the manager can see me all the way back at the counter. And he's like, I remember he started wiping down the counters even more through like that. And I remember thinking, that's what, you, that's what proud people do to other people. And so anyway, I get up to the counter. He goes, we got it all taken care of. He even puts his hands like this. I said, I'm sure you did. Uh, I needed to come back and apologize to you because the way I just talked to you was incredibly rude. And um, I'm a Christian but what you just experienced wasn't Jesus, that was me. And Jesus showed me that the way I treated you was not the way he wanted me to treat you. And so I was wondering, despite my terrible behavior, if you could possibly find it in your heart to forgive me. And I don't know what prompted me to do this, but I put out my hand and I said, could you forgive me? And the guy, the guy goes, I, I know this freaked him out. And, and uh, <laughs> He looked at it, and so he, I knew he didn't know what to do, and I thought, oh, boy. And he all of a sudden, he goes, that's awesome. And he shook my hand, and he said, I said, does this happen a lot where people treat you rudely? He says, all the time. He said, but not many people come back. Thank you for doing that. I said, I wish I had gotten it right the first time. I hope you have a better day than the way I just set your day on. And he goes, I will. And as I walked to my car, I remember thinking, God's grace is flowing again in the world. 
and I was filled with hope even though I was a lot like Peter. I knew it wouldn't be the last time he'd have to teach me. So I want to just pray before we take communion that God will help us think about the way we treat others, the way we treat him, and the way we treat our worries. What is he saying to you today? Let's pray. God, what do you want us to know? What do you want us to do? Teach us your way, Lord. Teach us your way. It's a better way. And we pray that as we listen to you and even do the hard thing, choose it, that grace will flow in the world, in our homes, in our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, and this city. In your name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.